0: I want to talk to you for a few weeks on the subject of family. And by that, I mean marriage, parenting, relationships, parent, child. The family is the most important entity in the world. Long before Jesus started his church, God started the family. And it is the basic unit of civilization and society. But in 2022, you and I are watching something very peculiar. This fundamental element of our culture is being de-emphasized. And not just de-emphasized in the culture at large, it's being de-emphasized in the church. I talked to a Christian author some time back who wanted to submit a book to a Christian publication firm on the family, and they said, we're not really taking any books on the family right now. I understand why. And could I just say before I get started, today's talk is gonna be a very frank talk because nothing works if we don't have a bedrock of truth. That's one of the problems with our culture today. Our culture today is built on lies and somehow we want to pull functionality out of those lies. It doesn't happen. So I got to tell you, I'm going to speak truth today and it's going to go counter culture and just want to let you know before I do that. I do understand biblically why the family is being de-emphasized. If you've been at New Spring, you know that I brought a number of prophecy series to you the last few years. There's a clash of dynasty series. Every time you see that moniker it's a prophecy series. I just felt really impelled by the Holy Spirit to talk to you a lot about biblical prophecy and where we are because there's no way to make any sense of what's going on in our world without understanding that the Bible said it was going to be this way. I do understand <clears throat> why the family's being de- de-emphasized. We are in the last days. I think we're in the last hours of the last days. And Satan is setting up his bizarro seven-year kingdom that we know of as the tribulation. We're feeling the cold winds off of it blowing in our face right now. When the apostle John was writing in the, probably the 80, around AD 90, when he was writing to the church, he said this, the spirit of antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. Now, what John was saying, and just make sure we understand the grammar of that, he was saying the Antichrist is coming, and that's still the case for us. We understand that the Antichrist, Satan always, excuse me for breaking the sentence, Satan always wants to invert God's creation. He is not creative, but he tries, to, he tries to copy in his wicked sense what God has done. God brought his Savior into the world, his son Jesus. Satan has his man. He can't, he can't bring him into the world like God brought Jesus. He doesn't have creative power. But he's going to have a man that he's going to completely fill, and that man is going to be presented as his Christ, which is why the Bible calls him Antichrist. Now, John says he's not here yet. He wasn't in 89. He's not here yet now in 2022. Maybe in the world, just not revealed yet. But John said the spirit of Antichrist, the attitude of Antichrist is already in the world. And so when I look at the de-emphasis of what God created, I mean, if you, if you look at what Satan is trying to invert, just go to Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God. Well, in the last 150 years, we've been told that God is no longer a useful hypothesis. In the beginning, God created. And instead of creation, the, <laughs> the predominant worldview, the official worldview of education in our culture is that God did not create the world as the Bible said he did. In the beginning, God God created, read a few verses later, male and female, that's being inverted today. So when I look at this de-emphasis on the family, in the culture at large, and even strangely, in what used to be Bible-believing evangelical churches, I know what's going on. Now here's the thing, there's been an evolution, or devolution, to this whole process. And it began with the idea that marriage, which God instituted, by the way, no culture thought up marriage, God thought up marriage, as he brought the man and the woman together in the Garden of Eden. It is God's idea. The first plank of this de-emphasis is that marriage is not all that important. Now, the Bible tells us it is, that it's significant. Listen to what the Bible says about marriage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all. Now, that word honored. And by the way, I'm not comparing marriage to the blood of Christ, but it is significant that the word used for honored there in Hebrews chapter 13 is the same word as precious as Peter tells us about the blood of Christ. Peter talks about the precious blood of Christ, precious, same word as honored in relationship to marriage. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Now, we watched Especially, I'm a baby boomer. My birth year falls in the, one of the two median years of the baby boom. By the time my generation came along, we were, we were already deep into that marriage. It's not all that important. So if you're a boomer like I am, you will probably remember the moniker or the, the saying of the 70s, I don't need a piece of paper to prove my love. We can just live together. I don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to get married. We're in love with each other. And that's all it takes. Well, that's what hit my generation very hard. And for all of you who are younger than I, and you're dealing in a world where marriage is not considered important at all, and the idea is that you live together until you get married, I owe you an apology. I owe you a cultural apology. It was my generation that let that monster in the door. Well, that is what we are left with today. Since marriage is not that important, just live together and see if you want to commit. And then if you don't want to commit, then just no harm, no foul. Somebody, one or both people move out. And if you decide you do want to keep the person that you're with, after all, you never say, we never say this, you had them on trial. Well, that's real healthy for relationships, isn't it? I'm going to see if you pass muster. If you do, I might marry you. You had them on trial. So if finally you decide you really, I don't mean you personally, but culturally, if you decide you want to get married, then you plan a wedding out there. But nobody really knows what it means. What will change with that wedding? And in our culture today, a wedding means that you get to be king and queen for the day and then go back home to the same situation. No wonder marriage doesn't mean very much. It has been proven statistically, and I've watched this at my entire ministry, it's been proven statistically that oftentimes divorce occurs right after the wedding because no one knows what's happened there isn't any kind of change. I will say for, and I recognize that many of us have found ourselves in that situation. I will say this. There is one situation that I've seen God bless over and over and over. And a place where a wedding can mean a lot if a couple has lived together. And that is if that couple will say, okay, we did it wrong. Now we're going to do it right. We're going to, we're going to follow God and we're going to honor God. And I have watched those weddings be very powerful and mean a whole lot. Not because they bought into the cultural platform, but because they took God at his word. And here's the thing. All of us are going to find ourselves in this warped dystopian culture that we're in. All of us are going to find ourselves in a place where we bought into some of it. Through the years, I've always taught, go, as fast, as, get as fast to, uh, get, go as fast as you can and get as close to God. So I, I write that expression a lot in my sermons, as fast, as close. So if you find yourself in one of these dysfunctional situations, then just honor God and do what God says, and you'll be amazed at how much God will bless you. And I do think there's so many who grew up in our world today who've never been taught any different. So that's why I want to bring to you the word of God. Well, if marriage is unimportant, it was just a matter of time before divorce was redefined. And I'm sensitive going into this because so many here have probably, and watching online, have been through a divorce. It wasn't your idea. It wasn't your fault. You just found yourself in a scenario where it was untenable and you couldn't go forward. I totally get that. But wouldn't we all agree that divorce has gotten a little too easy in our culture? And that goes back to the fact that marriage was, was diminished um, and again, for all of you who are older than I, you, you, you can't even imagine a world like this. Do you know that there was a time in the United States of America, if a couple decided that they needed to get divorced, they had to go to court and somebody had to show cause. Somebody had to show cause to prove that this marriage had been pushed to the place where it was no longer viable. But Ronald Reagan in the state of California for the first time brought in something called no-fault divorce. Before that, it had only been part of the culture of the Bolsheviks in Russia, and today No-fault divorce is part of our world, and we can't even imagine a world before that. And the idea is we're sympathetic to people who have to air out their dirty laundry in public. So consequently, let's just take that stigma out of the way. But many of you know what it's like to go to divorce court where the person who was the perpetrator, who was responsible for your marriage breaking up, was treated equally with you who were a victim in the whole process. After a while, marriage was so minimized that others begin to ask, well, what about the definition of marriage? I mean, up until that time, it had been a man and a woman. But there were those who said, well, why can't, if, if, if it doesn't matter that much anyway, why can't two men get married? Why can't two women get married? Or why can't, why two? Why can't we be a throuple? Why can't four or five people? Why can't a whole town get married? <laughs> and we're in free fall. You know, here's the thing. We're in free fall and we don't know it. It's like the lobster being boiled to death, slowly being placed in lukewarm water and the heat being turned up. Let me read you three quotes that are from, none of these quotes are 20 years old. Here's the first one. Marriage has got historic religious and moral content that goes back to the beginning of time. And I think a marriage is as a marriage always has been between a man and a woman. Hillary Clinton, 2004. Marriage is between a man and a woman, Joe Biden, 2006. I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, Barack Obama, 2008. And yet what these leaders said and articulated, if you and I were to say that today, what's the word we would be ascribed? Hater. We are in free fall. We are a culture racing toward Satan's bizarro, Antichrist kingdom. Recently, a high appointee of the United States was asked to define a woman, and she refused. How hypocritical, since that's what we're asked to do every time we see the silhouette on the restroom door. The insanity of our times is endless. We now have government documents that have changed the language. This this one is, talk about bizarro. Changed the language from mother to birthing person. And we are watching our kids being groomed into this insanity. And every day we we read stories of parents being iced out. I know what Jesus had to say about harming a child. He said it would be better if that person had never been born. I don't know exactly what that means, but when I open Luke 16, I get a clue. Well, you and I should not be surprised by this because these are not mere cultural shifts. That's what we're told. These are cultural shifts. This is part of the evolution of a culture. And yet this culture can't think its way out of a paper bag. They're not cultural shifts. It's the spirit of antichrist. It is exactly what the Bible told us it will be. And for any of us who bought into his agenda, I've noticed one thing, at least in the last 50 years, as soon as you swallow one thing that the devil has for you to swallow, he'll have one right beyond that is darker and lower. If you were to go to the Bible to find our culture, I think there are many places, but probably no place better than Romans chapter one. I remember teaching on Romans back at the old location that you saw a picture a little while ago. I remember teaching Romans chapter one one Sunday night, and the most brilliant man I think I ever knew was Judge Paul Clark, who was the largest, he was the longest serving judge in Sedgwick County. And he had, been, a, he had been, a, a, he'd been the lawyer for the state of Kansas under the attorney general. He used to regale me with stories of cases he'd been part of. In fact, a quadruple murder that we had that was a national story here in Wichita. I remember the day he called me and he said, they've assigned me to this case. I remember teaching on Romans chapter one and at the end of the service, Paul Clark, this brilliant man, this brilliant lawyer, walked up to me and said, pastor, I finally now understand the world. Here's Romans one. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Hello, 21st century American evangelical church. They begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. I don't like to do too much in the Greek language, but I just want you to see this. The Greek word for wise there is the word sophos. Well, for those of you who've been to philosophy class, what word do we get from that? We get our word sophistry. We get our word sophistication. Sophos is the Greek word for wisdom. So, okay. Claiming to be sophos, they became moros. You want to take a crack at the word we get from that? This is God talking. They claim to be sophisticated, but God said they are morons. So, this is the worst part, and you're going to find this expression three times. So, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies, They traded the truth about God for a lie. My my staff was just at a conference of what has been an evangelical church, and, and yet we all came back very unsettled because it was clear that this, what had been a great ministry is in the process of trading truth for lies. So what happened next? They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. This is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned away from the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. Free strikes. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking. A person today could say, I don't like where this is going. I don't like any of this. It could be that person is already abandoned. It could be that God has put an orange sticker on their vehicle and left it beside the road. God abandoned them to their foolish thinking, let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. Look at this next line. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. Hello, social media. Break their promises, are heartless, have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And then look at this last line. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. Well, that's where we are, but where does that leave you and me? For those of us who have grown up in this culture and we, we find some of it even in ourselves and some of, the, some of this thinking has even gotten into our own groundwater, but we love God and we want to please God and we, we want to be sane in an insane world, where does this find us? Well, as I just hinted, we may have bought into some of this craziness. It's almost impossible not to. I probably have more than I realize. And my heart especially goes out to to those of you who are very young. I sympathize with you. And you may not even be able to imagine a world before this insanity unless anyone thinks I'm picking on anyone today. That's so far away from the truth. It would be like a doctor who loves the patient but recognizes the patient has cancer. But to pretend that cancer is not important, that it's not dangerous, that it's not a problem, that would be criminal malpractice. And that's what we have a lot of with pastors today. We have a lot of criminal malpractice. And I understand that Satan is into controlling the message. I mean, from, the, from Genesis chapter three on, Satan's idea of the message is truth is a lie and a lie is truth and sanity is insanity and insanity is sanity. And for anyone who dares speak sanity, Satan will say, how dare you? And maybe that's where some of us are today. We've kind of like bought into some of it. Or it could be that you've recognized what's going on, but all the dysfunction of the culture has almost led you to think that you might as well throw in the towel and settle for dysfunction in your family. Well, I've done all that I've done today to lead into what the series is about. The message of this series is in the face of all the insanity. When it comes to your relationships, there is something that can not only keep you sane, but there is something that can give you a power boost in these dark days. Now, one more time, I want to appeal to prophecy because I don't think we can understand 2022 without understanding biblical prophecy. And by the way, there's never anything I've looked at prophetically in the word of God that I've correctly understood that has not come to pass just like God said it would. Our world is headed for the tribulation, but we're not. If you're a Christ follower, you're headed for the return of Jesus. Never forget this. The Holy Spirit is here right up to the second when the trumpet blows and Jesus comes for us. The Holy Spirit, listen to me, please. It may get dark. You may be to a place where you can't even read the news anymore because it just gets you down too much. But please never forget the Holy Spirit of God is right here with you, living inside of you until the last minute. Marriage may be crazy on the world outside, but he's here to help you with your marriage. And, and, and what's, being, what's, what's being shoveled toward our kids, it could be dystopic in so many places, but you have the Holy Spirit to help you with your kids and your parents. Let me just prove that to you. In the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's a little section of scripture that talks about both the Antichrist and the Holy Spirit. And the reason why is the church that Paul was writing to, they'd gotten kind of balled up on the idea of the rapture and they they thought maybe it already happened. So Paul is writing them. Now watch the references to the Antichrist and the reference to the Holy Spirit. This is important to you. That day, we're talking about the seven-year tribulation. That day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. That's where we are now and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. John talked about that, spirit of Antichrist. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Who is holding Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist back right now? The Holy Spirit of God, why? The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost He empowers the church. He will be here until the church leaves town. Now look at this one more time. Until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So every once in a while, someone will ask me, who do you think the Antichrist is? I I will not know. I will not be here. I'm leaving town. So if you stay here, you will know. Now, I've got to close the message. I've got five minutes. I want you to understand the power that you have that's available for your relationships. On Mother's Day, I shared with you a verse, and you'll hear me say this every week. The Bible says, the one who sows or plants to please his sinful nature will from that nature reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap Eternal life, and the word there for eternal life doesn't just mean length, it means quality. Now, (laughs) some will say, oh, I I know what you're talking about, Mark. What goes around comes around. Um, What you're talking about is karma. Karma. You remember a few weeks ago, I told you that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview? And only 9%, this is the one that gets me, only 9% of self-professing Christians have a biblical worldview. A new part of that statistic or that survey came out this week that really crushed me. Only 50% of pastors, I'm not really surprised though, only 50% of pastors have a biblical worldview. We have the cruddiest group of pastors in our nation since the Old Testament prophets of Israel. We have a generation of cowards. I'm not smart. I don't lay any claim to being smart, but I'm not a coward. And I believe the word of God. Well, when the, and we talked about this the other day, when the question was asked, why do only, why do less than 10% of American Christians have a biblical worldview? And the answer came back from those who did the study was syncretism. Syncretism is the blending of belief systems. It's like, like (laughs) deciding what you believe the way you go through a salad bar. We'll pull a little from the Bible, pull a little bit from what my friends say, and pull a little bit from Buddhism, a little bit from Hinduism, and I've kind of built my own religion. Is anyone smart enough to recognize that it doesn't have any equity in heaven? You know, someone can say, well, Mark, I heard what you taught today, and I know a church that doesn't teach that way. Have they been to heaven and got their parking ticket stamped, and they come back? So we live in a world where belief systems have gotten all mixed up, and so one of the things that puzzles me is I hear Christians talk about karma, karma. Well, is this what we're talking about? Are we talking about karma? Do you know what karma is? I mean, many of us have used the term. Do you do you know what karma is? It's a tenet of Hinduism, a tenet of Buddhism. In Hinduism and Buddhism, and here's the definition, it's the sum of a person's actions in this and previous states of existence viewed as deciding their fate in future existences. Is that what you believe? In theosophy, the definition is the cosmic principle according to which each person is rewarded or punished in one incarnation according to that person's deeds in a previous incarnation. For those of us who use the term karma, do you believe in reincarnation? that's what it is. The truth be told, for many of us who use the word karma, we're just parroting what the culture has taught us to say. Well, let's just, let's put karma on trial for a few moments. If karma works, here's some questions that I have. First of all, who, who is this powerful source that evaluates each person's thoughts or actions? Who determines the rightness or wrongness of conduct? Whose standard is used? Who keeps track from incarnation to incarnation? Who decides what the appropriate incarnation is? Who executes the appropriate reward or punishment? It all implodes, doesn't it? It implodes in itself. What is our verse talking about? In Galatians chapter six, verse eight, I'm gonna end here, but we'll, we'll pick this up next week. The one who sows to please his sinful nature Now, what is the sinful nature? That is the part of us that we inherited from Adam. Every single one of us has a nature, an operating system that is bent toward doing wrong. Here's the deal. If we give full vent to that dark system, we could fall into any sin pattern that anybody else can do. That's why Christ followers can do some things that are very horrible. We all have that in us. And the Bible tells us the one that will grow is the one that we feed and exercise. The second nature that we have is not just an operating system, it's a person. Because when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. I mean, think about this, God living inside of you. I woke up at three o'clock this morning, heavily burdened about this message. It was just so easy, even though the lights were out for me to say Holy Spirit and just start talking because I don't have to throw the prayer to heaven. The Holy Spirit is living inside of me. God inside. Now, here is the principle of our series. We'll pick this up next week, but here's the principle. I just pray that we can own this because you're going to hear me say it again and again and again. You can say, Mark, why are you repeating this so much? Because this is the essence of the Christian life and almost no Christians utilize it. And I want us to. God spun the law of sowing and reaping into the universe If you plant peas, you get peas. If you plant carrots, you get carrots. If you plant tomatoes, you get tomatoes. The Bible tells us the same thing happens to us spiritually. Whatever we plant, there's going to be a harvest. Now, here's what our verse says. If I plant my seeds to my dark nature, the Bible says from that nature, I'm going to reap death, decay, and destruction. So in other words, I don't need to turn around and say, what happened to me? The devil made me do it or God did this to me. It's my nature that would, I was reading Ben Bradley's biography that he wrote a few years ago. Ben Bradley was a longtime publisher for the Washington Post during the Watergate era. And he said something I thought was kind of interesting. He said, it is said that the Washington Post brought Nixon down. He said, that's not true. Nixon brought Nixon down. And that's what our old nature does. Now, here's the thing. In my my marriage, in my relationships, in my family, every day of the week, I am prompted to react and respond and act according to the way I feel. But the problem with the way I feel is it tends to default to my old nature. If Mary Ellen says something I don't like, I'm like, ooh, I can do one better. I can, she, if she thinks she's going to lob that grenade at me, wait till you see the bazooka I fire at her. And that's how the world works. But the Bible tells me this, the Bible says, Mark, at that moment, if you decide to drop that seed into the old nature, from that old nature, you will reap decay, death, and destruction. But at that moment where I'm inclined to say something cutting, if I decide, wait a minute, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. If I decide at that moment, I'm going to drop a seed of self-control. I'm not just planting it in a nature, I'm planting it in God. Because look at that verse one more time. The Bible says the person who sows to his flesh will from that nature reap death, decay, and destruction. But the one who plants to the spirit will from the spirit of God reap life and a high quality of life. Oh, that's what we're gonna be talking about. So, Who do you involve when you involve the Holy Spirit? Man, I know when I involve my old nature what I'm getting. But just how powerful is it when you plant a seed in the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Let me give you two words and I'll be through. First of all, you actually have, I mean, I'd almost do a drum roll right here. If you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, you have the creator. I'm talking about the one who wrote the codes for DNA, the one who stepped out on nothing and spoke the world into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, well, actually, in Genesis 1, 1, that's when we're introduced to God. This is kind of over my pay grade, but in the Hebrew language, they could actually have numerals. They could have numbers, rather, associated with language. They had singular, that's one. They had dual, that's two. They had plural, that's two plus. So if the language was in the plural, it meant that there were three. It is interesting that all the pronouns in Genesis 1 are singular in form, except for the word Elohim, which is God, which is plural. That is why in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image, the Trinity. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. You have the the creator living inside of you. That is amazing to me. You know, here's the first time we're introduced to the Holy Spirits in Genesis chapter one, verse two, the Bible says the earth was without form and waste, empty waste and darkness was on the face of the great deep and the spirit of God was moving. Let me ask you a question. What do you have in your life? What do you have in your marriage? What do you have in your relationship with your kids? That's chaos. What do you have? That's, that feels like things have been wasted. What do you have? That feels dark in your life. The same Spirit of God that moved over the face of the waters in creation is the same Spirit of God that can move in your marriage, move with your teenagers, move with every other relationship in your life. When you sow to the Spirit, you got the Creator involved. Okay, number two, I know I made this word up. I just needed a word. When you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you have the Resurrector. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Let's read Romans 8, 11. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead whoo, is living in you. Oh, you see those pictures we have? You know, we try our best artistically to show you what it was like on Easter morning when that stone started rattling and it opens up and you see Jesus walked out and you're like, oh, that is amazing power that could raise a dead man to life. Well, the Bible says the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of you. Whoa. I think this is the third time I've said this and I'm through. You got a bag of seed. You do. We're going to talk about it a lot. Have a message coming up called the Jesus seed. Have a message coming up called take these seeds out of your bag. You have a bag of seed. It's every thought you think. It's every word you say. It's every attitude that you hold. And it's everything you do. That's your bag of seed and you stand in the middle of two operating systems, two natures, and if you decide to invest the thoughts you think, the words you say, the attitude you hold, the things you do, if you invest those things in the Holy Spirit of God, you have just brought the creator of the universe into your marriage. You have just brought the power of the creator of the universe in your relationship with your parents or with your kids. This is massive stuff, and we're going to be talking about it for the next few weeks. Let's pray. I can't leave this service without understanding that there could be someone here on the campus or someone watching online or watching on television and just saying, Mark, I'm not sure I have God living inside of me. Do you know he's a gift? He wants to come inside. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock if anybody will open the door. So how do we open the door? It's not joining a church. It's in simply believing the gospel, that God loves you, that you're a sinner. Jesus died for your sins, that he paid for your sins on the cross, and that he rose from the grave as we just saw a few moments ago. And if you will come and declare spiritual bankruptcy and invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, he will. The Holy Spirit will move into your life and you'll have the creator and the resurrector living inside of you since the bible tells us it's a matter of believing and asking i'm going to lead you in a prayer and these are not magic words but these are words that call out to god and if you want to join me in this prayer i would encourage you to do that you don't have to pray out loud god is listening for you he's leaning down from heaven and he wants to hear from you so i'm going to pray each line slowly so you can decide if you want to say these things to god dear god i am a sinner but i believe you love me very much I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And because Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. It's a box. that looks like this. You heard about it in the baptism video today. There's a Bible just like I preach from, free of charge. There's a little book I wrote called My New Walk with God, some coupons and some other things. It won't cost you anything. So here's how to get it. Watching online, on television, or in the house. Just text the word PRAYED. If you have a smartphone, text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000. If you're watching outside our campus... We'll send it to you if you'll just follow the steps. But if you're on campus today, all you got to do is go back to any info center. They're all in these colors and just say, I pray with Mark. They'll give this to you today and take it with you. May God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.